Exodus chapter 32, hear the word of the Lord. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose, to the derision of their enemies, and Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. 
And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Perhaps many of you have tried to read through the Bible from start to finish. And you started in Genesis and went along pretty well and cruising along in Exodus, really interesting history. And then you get to what we looked at the last few weeks. You get to all these details about the tabernacle and the priesthood, and you tend to to grind down and and, uh, struggle through these sections. And I have to say, as I'm doing that, as I'm reading through the, the Old Testament, I do anticipate that section and say, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to pay attention here and, and get through this section. But there's a section, in fact, a chapter that I dread even more, and it's this one. It's this chapter. Because up to this point, things were generally going so well. They were going so well. And, and here we have this chapter that really comes as, as something of a, a shock and a surprise to us. It's probably one of the most well-known chapters of Exodus, this question of the, the golden calf. Now, the way this is structured is actually familiar to us, this story, because as we've seen, once they got to Sinai, Moses, who's in his 80s, He's going up and down and up and down and up and down. I actually have lost count of how many times he has gone up and down the mountain. And that's how this is structured. We, we see what's going on below, and then we see what's going on above, and then Moses goes down below, and then Moses goes back up again. Now, if we were to take out chapters 25, 6, 7, 8, 29, all the way to 31, it, it reads pretty smoothly. So if you look at chapter 24, verse 18, it ends like this. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And then if you skip over to chapter 32, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain. So that's what's happening. All those chapters in between are what Moses was receiving those 40 days and 40 nights. But meanwhile... We now learn that the people were getting anxious. And so they went to Aaron because he had been left in charge in Moses' absence. And they went to Aaron and they very rudely, very rudely demanded that Aaron make gods for them. Look at verse 1. 
the people gathered themselves together. They saw that he delayed to come down, and they went to Aaron, and they said to him, Up! Is that how you speak to your ruler? Up! Make gods for us who shall go before us. And then they speak rudely about Moses. They say, as for this Moses, this Moses, and then they, they completely fail to recognize God's work. They say, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, excuse me, Moses brought you up out of the land of Egypt? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And, and here they say, this, this man Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. What? They watched him go up the mountain. What do you mean they don't know what has become of him? Okay, it's taken 40 days and 40 nights, but, but he prepared for that. And so the people are, are forgetting, they are dismissive of Moses, and they are basing their demand on a half-truth about not knowing what happened to him. Now, think about their situation the whole time. The whole time they had Mount Sinai in view. They could see what's going on. They couldn't see Moses, but they could see the cloud and the fire and the, the thunder and so on. They also, think about this. What were they eating every day? Manna. They had the manna every day during these 40 days and 40 nights. So God was providing for them six times a week. And on the, the last day of the week, they were, or the second last day of the week, they were provided so they could eat the seventh day of the week. God was providing for them their daily bread. And at the same time, they also had the testimony of the 70 elders. It wasn't just Aaron. The 70 elders said, we saw God and we ate and drank. So they had all that they needed to continue to believe in spite of the delay. But still, whatever faith they had soon wore out. It expired. And they wanted either new gods. It's not really clear if they wanted new gods or if they wanted visible rep representation of the true God. It's not really clear what they were asking for here, if they're asking for other gods or if they were asking for a visible rep rep uh, representation of the true God. But, but their faith didn't last very long, did it? It raises a good question, because sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait a long time for the things we're longing for. And they may be good things. We're praying and we're praying and we're longing and we're waiting and we're hoping. And it may be a lot longer than 40 days and 40 nights. It may be 40 years sometimes. How long does it take for our faith to wear out? How long does it take for our faith to expire, for us to get impatient and take things into our own hands and look for other options? Well, while Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving instructions about the consecration of his brother as the high priest, his brother was busy making an idol. So Moses is up there receiving the, the, the garments of the high priest for his consecration. And now Aaron is now making an idol. Now, Moses had not yet brought down the tablets. He brings the tablets down in a little bit. But the people already had the Ten Commandments. We know that. If you go back to chapter 24, they had the Ten Commandments spoken orally to them, and they also had them written down in some form. They weren't written on the tablets yet, but they had the Ten Commandments. And in the event of the golden calf, they broke at least three of them. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So they knocked off at least three of them in this one incident. Now, it says, interestingly here, they rose up in the, in the, the morning, the next day, when Aaron called this, this feast, in verse 6, 
burned burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and then it says, and the people sat down to eat and drink. We've heard that before, haven't we? Do you remember the 70 elders halfway up the mountain? They saw God, and what did they do? They ate and they drank. And here, once again, the people are eating and they're drinking, but this time, not before the true God, but before this idol that they had made. And then it says, and then they rose up to play, to play. Now, this word has different meanings, but probably here it has sexual overtones. Uh, do you remember when Joseph was in Potiphar's house and, and uh, the wife of Potiphar took a liking to Joseph? And then Joseph spurned her advances, and then she got angry, and she said, have you brought this, this, uh, this Israelite here to make sport of us, to play with us? It's the same word. And there she's obviously talking about, about sexual advances. And so that's probably what this is about. They, they sat down to eat and drink, and then they rose up to engage in revelry, uh, immorality. Well, the Lord on, the, uh, on top of the mountain informed Moses about what was going on, and um, he had a plan. His plan was, Moses, they've turned aside from me already. You haven't even gotten down yet, and they have turned aside from me. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them all out, and I'm going to start over with you. And I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now, um, the, the, the plan would actually accomplish a couple of things. And it's actually, it's actually a reasonable plan that the Lord had, isn't it? I mean, obviously, it's the Lord's plan, but, but it's reasonable because it would accomplish two important purposes. It would punish the idolaters, and God would still fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He just would delay them several generations. He promised to Abraham that he would make a great nation. Well, they were already a great nation, so if he takes out that great nation now, he's going to have to start over and build a great nation out of Moses. It's going to take time. It's going to take perhaps hundreds of years more to get to that point, but God could still fulfill his promise. So God could still keep his word that he would, he would not hold guiltless those who take his name in vain. So he would fulfill his threat in the third commandment, and he would fulfill his promises to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. It's a, it's a watertight plan, but, but Moses didn't like it. There's an interesting expression here when it talks about the Lord's wrath in verses 10, 11, and 12. And this is a metaphor that we don't have in English, but we, could, we, could get, we can get the idea. When it talks about the wrath of the Lord burning, it, it's, his nose was blazing. The nose of the Lord was blazing. That's what it says in verses 10, 11, and 12. Now, therefore, let me alone that my nose may, be bla may blaze hot against them. Verse 11, Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your nose blaze hot against your people? Verse 12, uh, then it says, um, turn from your blazing nose and relent from this disaster against your people. We have something about getting your nose out of joint don't we? But they have an expression about a blazing, fiery nose. Keep that in mind. Well, Moses, with some remarkable audacity, rejected out of hand the Lord's plan. He did not like it at all. And he basically went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Lord. This is the kind of relationship they had. This is the kind of intimacy that, that Moses had with the Lord. 
He, he said, no, this is not a good plan. And he went on like a, like a lawyer to present three arguments against God fulfilling this plan. The first argument in verse 11, the Lord had already done so much in bringing the people out of Egypt with great power. Verse 11, Moses implored the Lord his God, O Lord, why does your nose blaze against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? He's saying, Lord, you've already done so much. You're already in it this far. You've already accomplished this much. So so don't stop now. You already have so much invested in this. You've already shown your power. You've already brought them this far, part of the way, so finish the job. The second is this. Your reputation, Lord, is on the line here. Your reputation, do you remember? I went to Egypt, and and I said to Egypt, let my people go. The Lord says this, and, and they let your people go. And now, if they all die in the wilderness, what are they going to say? In verse 12, why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? That's what people are going to say about you, Lord, and we can't let that happen. And the third argument is an argument about the covenant in verse 12, or verse 13, rather. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and he calls them Israel. The national name, the name of the, uh, the, the, the people. Remember A- Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Lord, you promised and you need to fulfill what you promised. Did you notice the turn there, when Moses, or rather when the Lord goes to Moses and tells Moses what was happening, he says, your people, Moses, your people have turned aside. And then Moses turns around and says, no, 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 not my people, your people, Lord. Remember that. And that's really the basis of his argument. If God is saying, I am disowning these people, these are yours, Moses, your problem to deal with. I will wipe them out, but, but they're yours. They're not mine. He's saying, no, 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 Lord. You promised. You promised. These are your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Now, amazingly, if there's, if there's, now I know we're not Moses, but we have access in the name of Jesus to the Father. If there's any encouragement you need for prayer, look at this. Because look at verse 14. And the Lord relented. <laughs> Amazing. The Lord relented, literally from the evil that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now, now we could, it's not time to do that, but we could talk about how, how this works with the Lord relenting or even some translations repenting. Um, but, but notice the Lord did not go back on his word. If he had fulfilled his plan, he would have fulfilled his word. And by doing what Moses urged him to do, he was also fulfilling his word. And so he was not, he was not going back on his word in any way. But it's amazing that Moses prevailed upon him in prayer. And that the Lord relented from being, bringing the disaster upon his people. Now that's above. So we saw what was going on below, making the calf above. God having this conversation with Moses. And now Moses goes down in verse 15. 
He goes down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. And here, the only time we have written in all of Scripture that the tablets were written on the front and on the back. In other words, they were filled up. There was no more room for anything else on these tablets. There was nothing to add. These were complete. And uh, they, they were written, it says, by God himself. Now, Moses had already written these down, but now God himself is writing them, the two tablets of the testimony. And there are different theories about the two tablets. Some think that there's some of the commandments on one, some of the commandments on the other, but there's another idea that is more likely and that they're two copies. They're two copies because when a covenant was made in the ancient Near East, there were two copies of the covenant made. One for the sovereign that was deposited in his temple and one for the vassal people, the controlled people, the the conquered people, the dominated people, and that was in their temple. But since there was only one temple, these two tablets went together. The temple of the sovereign and the temple of the vassal was the same temple. That's an interesting theory about these, these two tablets. But he had these. He was taking them down. And then they're getting near, and Joshua, Joshua's the warrior, remember. Joshua's the, the rising general, and he hears this tumult, and he says, there's, there's noise of war in the camp. And Moses said, that doesn't sound like war. It doesn't sound like they're, they're lamenting defeat. It doesn't sound like they're celebrating victory. It sounds like they're singing in revelry. And then in verse 19, it says, as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf, the Lord had already seen the calf, hadn't he? And what happened when the Lord saw the calf? His nose blazed. And it says in verse 19, And as soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. Now what happened? Moses' nose blazed as well. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. What had he done? He smashed the testimony of the covenant. He broke it. When he saw what was happening with his own eyes, He broke the testimony, the the ratification in his own hands by the finger of God. He smashed it as if to say, God, you're right. It's over. This people is done with. It's, It's finished. Your covenant is finished. Your obligation to this people is done. That's what it looks like. And then he dealt with the calf, and then he dealt with Aaron. Interesting what he did with the calf. He took the calf that they had made, he burned it with fire and ground it to powder. We don't know what this calf was made of. Some think it was wooden with gold leaf over it. That way you could grind it to powder. But whatever he did with it, he scattered it on the waters and made the people to drink it. This is unusual, but there's a, an odd test in Numbers 5. And it's a test for the possibly unfaithful wife. And the way you test... It's very odd for us to read this ceremony, but the way you test for, for this wife of unfaithfulness, you make her drink this, this water that has this dust in it from a tablet, and if it kills her, then she's guilty, and if it doesn't, she's innocent. And it looks like that's what's going on here, but it's already determined that they're guilty. There's no test necessary here, but they have to drink of this, this, this water of judgment Uh, 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 made from the the calf that they had made. Now, Moses then has this absurd conversation with Aaron. 
And he says, what did this people do to you, verse 21, that you've brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, he went on and he repeated what happened. Let not the nose of my Lord blaze hot. He blames it on the people. You know the people. They're set on evil. They said to me, and here he repeats faithfully what, what they said. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what become of him. So he faithfully represented what the people had said to him. Then he faithfully said, so I said to them, anybody who has gold, take it off. And then it becomes absurd. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. So he blames the people, and then he blames kind of a miracle. It's not my fault. I just threw this gold in there, and poof, poof, this, this calf came out. And then after dealing with the calf, and after dealing with Aaron, Moses dealt with the people. And he saw that they had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose. To the derision of their enemies, it's that word derision, we're not exactly sure what that means, but, but there is a problem here. This is not just idolatry, this is dangerous. They're not a popular people wandering around the desert using other people's resources, camping at oases that, that other people want to use. They're, they're a multitude that's going through the desert. They're a threat to everyone else. They have enemies all around them, and they are completely out of control. This is an emergency situation that required an emergency response. No matter how drastic that may seem to us, Moses stood at the gate of the camp, and he said, in Hebrew, it's three words, in English, we need more words, but he said as few of words that he could possibly say in this emergency situation. This was not a time to wax eloquent and to give a speech. He said three words. In English, they are, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. He said it as quickly, as urgently as he possibly could. And his own tribe, his own tribe, the Levites, he was from the tribe of Levi, his own tribe rallied to him, and then he gave them the grim instructions. He said, you need to put order, and you need to do it with the sword. It's no longer a time for giving speeches. It is a time for actions. We need to get order in the camp, and we need to get it now. Gird yourselves with your swords and go through the camp and put order with the edge of the sword, and they did. And we read that they went through the camp killing their fellow Israelites. Many people fell that day, relatively few, a small percentage of the people. They were hundreds of thousands. 3,000 is, is many people, but it was still a small minority of the idolaters, but it, it worked. They were able to put order. And then Moses says to the Levites something very, very interesting that we won't understand until later, in verse 29, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. We've read about ordination in the case of Aaron and his sons. They were Levites, but they were a special group of Levites. But now, this same expression, do you remember the expression for ordination is to have one's hands filled? He has said Aaron's hands and the hands of his sons would be filled with the responsibility. And now Moses doesn't say in what sense, but he says, 
all of the Levites, you have had your hands filled today. You have been set apart, each one at the cost of his son and his brother. That's probably figurative because they probably weren't killing their own sons and brothers because they were Levites, not killing Levites. The Levites all responded, but they were killing their brother Israelites. But they have been, had their hands filled for the service of the Lord so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. We find out later that the Levites were set apart for tabernacle service as part of the worship of the tabernacle because of their zeal for the Lord this day. Now that's below. And now Moses goes above in verses 30 to 35. He tells the people they've sinned not a small sin, they've sinned a great sin. And this is interesting because up to this point in Exodus, there has been very little mention of sin. There has been the hardening of heart of the Pharaoh, but in terms of the Israelites, there's been very little mention of sin, and there's been provision for whatever sin might take place in the sacrifices. So so sin has not been a big issue up to this point. That's why this chapter comes as such a shock and a surprise. Because the people up to this point, what have they been saying? Whenever the words of the covenant have been spoken or been read, what have they said? Whatever the Lord says, what? We will do. And now they've sinned a great sin. And Moses is kind of doubtful about what will happen. He says, you've sinned a great sin. Verse 30, I will go up to the Lord. And what does he say? Perhaps. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. But Moses knew the law. And he had received the law. This law about all kinds of offerings and so on. And it looks like when he thinks about the greatness of the sin that they had committed and and the provision in these sacrifices, he's saying, I don't think these will do it. I'm not sure that what the Lord has provided for for the forgiveness of sin is is sufficient for this great a sin. But I'll, I'll try. I'll go up. And maybe... Perhaps I can make atonement. And so in verse 31, he goes back up. Moses returned to the Lord. And here his speech becomes kind of faltering. Moses had become, in spite of not starting this way, he'd become quite the eloquent speaker. He's not real eloquent here. He's faltering. He's halting here. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin They have made for themselves gods of gold. And then he starts a sentence that he doesn't finish. He says, but now, if you will forgive their sin. And then he breaks off the sentence. Then he blurts out a shocking offer. He says, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Now, this idea of the book that God had written This shows up actually many times throughout Scripture, but this is the first time. And so we really don't know what this is yet. And so we're left kind of wondering, what what is this offer? But if this is the same book that keeps showing up in in the Psalms and and all the way up to, to Revelation, then we can surmise that this book is the book of life in which are written the names of God's people. 
If you go all the way to the end, Revelation chapter 20, we have the, the clearest explanation of, of, of this book that's kind of mysterious throughout the Old Testament. It says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake fire. So if that's the book that's in view here, Moses is saying to God, if there's no other way for their sins to be forgiven, then erase me, blot me out. This is exactly the opposite of, of God's plan. Do you remember what God's plan was? I will blot out everyone else, and I will make a great nation of you. And Moses offers exactly the opposite. And he says, blot me out and spare them. This is not, this is not the last time somebody prayed like this. Paul, in Romans 9, and he's talking about the same people. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Moses offered himself. Paul if he could have, he would have offered himself. Now, what happened was God didn't do either his plan, original plan, or accept Moses' offer. He didn't wipe out all the people, and he didn't blot Moses out of the book. Instead, what he did, he explained what he would do in verses 34 and 35. He rejected Moses' offer. Verse 33, he says, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. He doesn't say what people. He doesn't say your people. He doesn't say my people. He just says the people. Go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. We'll find out next week how this is going to play out. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf the one that Aaron made. Okay, I'm not going to blot all of them out. I'm not going to blot you out either, Moses. I'm going to punish those who sinned. And he did. Now, because of the people's repeated and hearty declarations that whatever the Lord says, we will do. This chapter comes as a shock. And we want to cry out as we read this and say, how could you? How could you so quickly turn aside from the commandments of the Lord? However, Paul gave an extended commentary on this incident and, some, uh, and similar incidents. And he applied it not to Israelites. He applied it to Christians. In chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses. These were baptized people in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. 
Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now look at, here's, here's the message for us. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. That's written for us, Paul says. And if you think that's not written for you, you're in a greater danger. He says, let the one who looks at these Israelites and says, how could they? I would never do anything like that. He says, take heed, lest you fall. Learn from their example. That's the first lesson for us. As we look at them and we're shocked at them, we should turn to ourselves and say, oh, Lord, protect me. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. That's the first lesson. There's another important lesson here. Aaron's failure and Moses' noble but rejected offer show that neither the weakest sinner nor the strongest saint is an adequate substitute for the sins of God's people. Aaron, who is going to have his hands filled with the great high priesthood, To offer sacrifices for the sins of the people was obviously inadequate. Moses, maybe the greatest saint of the Old Testament, the one who was able to speak to God face to face, not even his life was adequate to atone for the sins of the people. And when in basically every sermon in Exodus, we eventually get to the letter to the Hebrews, don't we? Because... The author to the Hebrews says, Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Jesus is better than the tabernacle. And Jesus is better even than Moses. That's why Jesus and Jesus alone is able to offer himself for the sins of his people. There was a a prayer that Jesus prayed, kind of similar to Moses. He said, Lord, basically, if there's another way to do this, let's do it another way. Let let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but thine be done. Moses' offer of himself was rejected because it was inadequate. Christ's offer of himself was accepted by the Father as the only sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Now, how should we respond to that? Well, Hebrews tells us, draw near to God through Jesus. 
Hold fast to your faith. Encourage one another daily. Don't neglect meeting together, but rather encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Our God, as soon as we look at others and the greatness of their sin and are tempted to say, how could you? Then we look in our own hearts and we answer and we say, I know how you could. Unfortunately, I understand it far too well. But we don't have to, Lord, because their example for us is to warn us off. And I pray that we would take that warning seriously, that I would take it seriously, that we would avoid idolatry and immorality and grumbling, turning aside from you. And, Lord, we also look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who sacrificed himself, the only adequate sacrifice for our sins, the only high priest who could make atonement. And I pray that you would enable us to draw near to you, especially in that hour of temptation, because Jesus knows that hour of temptation. And in that hour of temptation, that we would find the help we need because Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to you through him. Lord, help us to take heed lest we fall and help us to stand. And if we stand, it is because you made us stand. And stand we must, O God. Enable us to stand firm until the end as we see the day drawing near. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.